Welcome to another glorious episode from your friends at Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and along with me, I have Mario Sakura and Maria Jose Munita. What are we talking about today? Just glorious stuff all around. Glorious stuff. Great. Glorious Great. stuff. Turnip soup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> more atrocious food analogies from Mario. So next time we um, meet in person, <laughs> we know... Who's not cooking? I'm cooking. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to have to try to make uh, beef and turnip soup tasty. So that's that's the... Great. So we're following up our last episode with uh, a deeper dive into critical thinking, uh, just as an introduction to this concept before we jump into types and strategies, just because it's such a foundational thing that we all believe it's... Well, it's just good for humans in general, but especially for the Enneagram community who we're dealing with some complex things, the psyche of of human nature, and we really need to know how to handle that well and responsibly. So uh, today we're going to be jumping into a few of the ideas of how to think critically and why it is important. Yeah, so uh, certainly this is what we're going to talk about today is just a taste of what we usually do in our trainings and, you know, the things that we think are important. And in fact, I I did write a little book on this, uh, How to Think Well and Why, available at bookstores near you. And actually it's not, but you can get it on Amazon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think you should probably change it to an Amazon warehouse near you. That's probably more accurate. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, Yeah, and and let me say that we used to teach it almost at the probably at the end, I don't remember anymore, or less like, like an additional session. Then we moved it to the middle of the certification track. Now it's pretty much at the beginning because of how fundamental of a base or kind of the ground that we want people to have before even starting learning about the Enneagram. First question, as you directed at Mario, but I think, Mario Jose, I think you probably have some things to add to this, but as as you all have worked together and just developed the awareness to action approach, what are some examples where you use critical thinking tool to not only determine the concepts or language that you wanted to use, but then maybe how you've uh, over time changed them by using these tools? Uh, so, th- so there's quite a few ideas there, and, and we'll get into them. But I, I, I do want to make a point first, and hopefully this won't take us into a 20-minute digression. Yes. But no, um, I want to be clear that while we emphasize the importance of critical thinking skills, doesn't mean that we think we're better at it than other people, right? Daniel Kahneman, who wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow, is a Nobel laureate in behavioral economics. He's a psychologist has done groundbreaking work. He is the guy when it comes to different ways of thinking and the traps of thinking. And he'll be the first one to say, I'm probably one of the leading experts in the world in this stuff, and I screw up all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea here is not to assume we will ever become perfect thinkers or even great thinkers. It's to continually work at being better thinkers, and being aware of some of the traps that we have seen people fall into, particularly when it comes to the Enneagram. With me, there are a lot of things about the Enneagram that I embraced sort of whole cloth early on, like a lot of people do, right? A lot of the more metaphysical concepts about it, a lot of the things, 
You know, for example, my review of Sandra Maitre's book, The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram, is still on her website, right? From when the book came out, I wrote a review of it in Enneagram Monthly, it was. And I I still think it's a great book, but I very much disagree with the Neoplatonic metaphysics at the root of the book and a lot of the teachings about the Enneagram. Right. So that's an example of something I kind of embraced before, but have come to see differently because of taking a different critical thinking stance. And I don't want to get too far into neoplatonic essentialism. That's for another six podcasts. But uh-huh. give us a, just a quick a quick summary, if you could, sure. of the nature of self. <laughs> <laughs> so, so can you can you summarize the teachings of Plato in four minutes or something? Right. So, please. I was thinking so, more like thirty seconds. But. Yeah, there you go. So, Neoplatonic essentialism is this idea coming from Plato, particularly in his um, the book The Republic, where he talks about the allegory of the cave, amongst other things, and he says, and this was his belief at the time that. Our realm of existence is just a reflection of other realms of existence. And out there somewhere in other realms of existence were forms or ideals, these perfect things, a perfect triangle, a perfect circle, perfect beauty, perfect justice. And this world is a reflection of those things, right? It's shadows cast upon a cave wall. And that the work is to recapture our connection to those essential perfect things. Now, uh, that may or may not be true, right? I mean, okay, sure, right? And there might be, you know, uh, Spider-Man in different metaverses and all that sort of thing. I mean, who knows? It's non-falsifiable. It's non-falsifiable, right? So I can either say, yeah, I buy that, or no, I don't. I fall on the no, I don't side, primarily because the assumption is is that these qualities of human nature are eternal and never changing. So you have these non-changing qualities in you. Now, nobody in serious science or philosophy has embraced that position since Darwin wrote on the origin of species, okay? And there's a great essay by by John Dewey called uh, the, I think it's the impact of Darwinism on philosophy, where he points out, like many have, that human nature has evolved and our ancestors had different natures than we do. So for anything about our nature to be eternal doesn't really make sense because our great, 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 you know, to the 10th grandparents were very different than we are, right? Uh, So how could their nature, how could human nature be eternal, right? Plato didn't know about evolution, right? Uh, It just was not a concept he had. I like to say that today Plato would not be a Platonist in this regard. So Neoplatonic essentialism is his belief that there are aspects of us that are non-changing over time. In the changing topic, I think that the Enneagram is uh, a model that keeps evolving. It's a work in process. And I do see the way in which we apply critical thinking more than in a specific thing as processes for that development. So, for example, if we have an idea and Mario keeps, keeps asking me, so are we fooling ourselves here? Is it, 
is it is this really does this really hold up or are we just wanting to believe this and that's a process that we have that's we have the habit of checking if we're fooling ourselves or if um, there's an idea of somebody else that we don't think it's true or that works again are we just resisting it because it's not ours is there any truth in what other people are saying And so we consider it. So I think that more than, and, and I'm not sure that any specific examples come to mind, but I, when I think about it, it's just the habit of challenging our assumptions, of questioning our conclusions all the time. I teach courses, and Riozzi does too, on critical thinking skills for leaders. And the first skill I teach them is to ask the question, How do I know this to be true and what's the evidence against it, right? Um, and we try to do the same thing, okay? We have an idea, much like the, you know, the pattern, um, you know, just so story that we talked about last time. You know, hey, maybe this is why. And then we start to say, yeah, but how do we know that to be true? And mm -hmm. we falsify it in some way. And if we see uh, something that doesn't make sense, but we have been teaching it for a while, There is cognitive dissonance. There's this friction because we have been teaching it and we are somehow attached to it or might be. And we need to think critically yeah. and say, okay, uh, we don't believe this to be true anymore and we'll change our slides and the content that we teach and everything. And that requires critical thinking. And it requires the strength to be able to handle the embarrassment of having been wrong. Right. Um, and, and there are things out there that I wrote, you know, years ago that I don't necessarily believe anymore. I would tweak and somebody would say, you know, on occasion, people say, well, yeah, 15 years ago, though, you wrote this. And I said, well, yeah, 15 years ago, I believed that. But now I believe differently. And here's why it's tempting to want to protect the image of the all-knowing expert and mm -hmm. not change views or rationalize or something. But hey. I, I learned something and I changed my mind. I'm hoping everybody would do that. This is still moving the conversation forward, but also just coming back to rejecting Neoplatonism, Essentialism. There's a lot of people in the Enneagram community that are religious or spiritual or have some deep connection to God or, or that sort of thing. And could both of you just speak to that as to, in order to use the Enneagram, Like no one has to agree one way or the other of, they don't have to agree with you in that in order for your model to work. So rejecting um, the Neoplatonic ideas doesn't mean that it doesn't, we cannot do deep work. Rejecting that, the idea that there are these essential qualities out there and that we need to go back to them and reconnect to them, it's one way. But you could also, and that's what we think, it's that we all have these core qualities inside ourselves and they're not fully developed. And the, the work is not to go back to something that it's out there, but to develop, to nurture, to grow in the, those qualities. And that's deep work and that can be very spiritual. The thing is that we don't mm -hmm. adhere to the idea, the concept that 
those things are fully developed. They're out there. They're they don't change over time. We say there are these deep core qualities and we need to nurture them. We need to grow them. And that's a lifetime work. Because some people say think that because we don't teach that, we don't agree with that, it's not spiritual. I, I just profoundly disagree. A Buddhist writer that I really like is a woman named uh, Pema Chodron. And one of her books is um, Comfortable with Uncertainty. And she talks about her approach to Buddhism being non-theist. Okay, Two ways to look at the world, right? There's two realms of thinking about things. One is the metaphysical, the other is the physical. Okay, uh, So the metaphysical is anything that's kind of beyond the physical, but also when we start getting into issues of faith, right? And her view was, I'm not making any judgments on what people believe based on faith, right? I'm not making judgments on whether there's a God or not. If so, what that God looks like, what that God requires from us, etc. Okay, I'm not making judgments on metaphysics. It's just not part of my practice because of certain reasons. Okay, And we take the same view. We like to think of our approach to the Enneagram as non-metaphysical. And there's a metaphysical approach to the Enneagram, which is great. And if that feeds people's needs, then super. Okay, My only concern is when people start taking metaphysical assumptions and then treating them as if they are objective facts. Okay, And this gets to the argument between Occam and Aquinas, um, which Whoa. I'm going to have to touch on here so for, for a moment. So unfortunate <laughs> you get an opportunity so. to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had to read these guys in seminary, man, years and years ago in the 80s, and I, I got to use it somehow, right? So, so, you know, Aquinas wrote the ontological argument for God, right, where he was, you know, proposing to logically justify that God exists exists, okay, uh, objectively prove the existence of God. And he wrote this very complex and robust argument, which has a lot of flaws in it. And Occam, a fellow believer, a fellow Christian at the time of, of the period, said, here's the problem, right? There are logical flaws in your argument, and here's what they are. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Faith is a gift. Faith is something we have or we don't have, and we should not try to justify faith through logic, reason, and science, okay? It's just, I choose to believe it, or I don't, okay? So, I'm, you know, somebody wants to embrace some sort of faith-based statement, that's great, okay? I have no issues with it. It's outside the realm of yeah. what I deal with. So, I, I I don't expect anybody to, you know, say, oh, well, I can't believe this or that because I can't prove it. No, that's not what faith is. I can't prove that I love chocolate ice cream. I can't prove that I love my children and my wife and etc. Okay. So, but I know it and that's good enough for me. Okay, there are some things that are subjective, and that's fine. Other things that are objective, and the wise person tries to draw a distinction between the two and use the right tools for analysis. Let me give you another example, and just to show how we see these as independent, not only from religion, but from other things. So some people say, okay, I there's this leadership model. How does Enneagram work with that? It worked great because there's some distinctions, some tools here that are independent from the Enneagram and the Enneagram can help 
in the development of those skills by understanding personality and all of that. Same thing happens with so many models that are out there that are independent of the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is another layer that can help with the growth together with these different models or different sets of skills to be developed. So it's not just religion. It's independent of lots of things. If you start combining them, it gets messy and less practical, less useful. One related point, because a lot of times people sort of make a a leap, and it's not necessarily a big one, from this idea of the platonic essentialism to the idea of a soul, right? A a soul that exists outside the, the physical body and so forth. Pope John Paul II wrote an interesting encyclical some years ago that was called Truth Cannot Contradict Truth. And what he was doing was establishing that Darwin's theory of evolution was official teaching of the church, meaning that, yeah, Darwin was right. We agree with what Darwin was saying. However, that does not mean that humans don't have souls. Okay, But what happened was along the evolutionary progression, there came a moment where God looked down and said, okay, you're ready. And that first Adam was ensouled. Okay, he was part of the evolutionary chain, but Adam had a soul, whereas Adam's mom and dad did not have souls. Okay, uh, which I always thought was, you know, a real rough break, right? I mean, you miss it by that close. Uh, but, you know, it's this idea that, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a faith based statement. And, okay, that's great. Uh, you know, it could be true. I, you know, I have no way of knowing. And, but I have no way of proving it and I have no way of disproving it. So I either say, okay, yes, I accept it or no, I don't. And that's all there is to it. I just want to make sure that we're not implying that critical thinking goes almost against spirituality or religion uh, because it might seem like that. Either I feel or I think, well, but you cannot do both. And I was at a meeting the other day and one of my clients who has a strong uh, religious Jesuit uh, background, we were having tough discussions. And every time he would hear the other side, he would say, okay, so let me see if there's any truth in what this person is saying. Like really challenging his first reaction and trying to see what the, what truth there was on the other side. And that's critical thinking. And it was taught by him, by the Jesuits. So let's make sure that we're not confusing these things. You can think clearly in benefit of spirituality, of leadership, of anything. It is different domains, and I think it's necessary for anything you want to do. Yeah. yeah. Every religious tradition has a group that are the thinkers, right? I mean, you know, it's the Jesuits in the Catholic tradition, right? Um, and uh, in yoga, there's, uh, I think it's Jnana uh, Yoga, which is all about thinking and the mind and figuring things out. And the, the, that's part of it, right? I mean, that's what any, you know, robust faith-based tradition will teach people to do, is to, to think critically and think logically. Unfortunately, it's difficult, right? We are not wired to be skillful thinkers, we are wired to believe what it's convenient to believe, which is 
kind of a nice transition and I think into some of the other things we want to talk about about the Enneagram and critical thinking. Right, which is some of the tools that you all use, yeah. different ways of critical thinking that that help frame what yeah. concepts you work on and, and and adjust and whatnot. Yeah, and I want to be clear here that what we're talking about today just touches on things because we have a lot of this stuff. It's in the you know what used to be the third module of our certification program, and we devote you know a number of sessions to it. But uh, there are some fundamental things that it's helpful for people to know as part of their work with the Enneagram, not just in their work on themselves, but in, particularly in their work with other people. And I really think this is something I've been saying for years and years and years, and I can't say enough, that if you are positioning yourself to be a teacher of the Enneagram, but you are not working on your critical or clear thinking skills, then you're being irresponsible. Right. I mean, because if you are not practicing intellectual rigor, you shouldn't be taking money from people or even, you know, putting yourself in a position to be offering input to people. Doesn't mean you're always going to be right, but you should be making the effort. It's unethical not to. So why don't you give us a quick overview of some of the tools that you use in your work when it comes to critical thinking? So we can break the things down into, uh, I actually came up with this model of five obstacles to clear thinking and five solutions for them, okay? And so you think of a set of concentric circles, and the first circle is the built-in biases of the brain. So understanding the built-in mechanisms of the brain that keep us from thinking clearly is step number one. Step number two is identifying issues of personality, which is the Enneagram is all about. Uh, step number three is understanding the manifestations of culture. Step number four is um, our ignorance, knowing what we don't know and how to fill in those gaps of what we do know. And step number five or circle number five is making our way through misinformation, right? Identifying and correcting misinformation. So ignorance is the things that we don't know that are true. Uh, misinformation is is the things that we believe that are not true, that are demonstrably not true. And so there are tools at each of these levels for clearing up the obstacles to clear thinking. When it comes to the built-in mechanisms, it's recognizing cognitive biases. Okay, It's recognizing, for example, that humans are victims of motivated reasoning, meaning we have a tendency to believe, to reason our way to what we want to believe. A lot of reasons for this, okay? We, uh, you know, a lot of the great philosophers said we don't, we're not really rational creatures. We tend to decide something emotionally and then we find the evidence for it rationally. This is why some really intelligent people believe some really crazy things, but are really good at convincing themselves that they're right and convincing other people that they're right as well because they're smart and they have good argumentation skills, even though they're not seeing you know, where they're wrong. Now, motivated reasoning is something that happens in us because we're tribal creatures. We want to believe the same things those people in our tribe do. This is why politics is tribal, okay, because that's my crew. And if I don't believe something that they believe, I tend to be rejected, and that's a bad thing for somebody who's in a social species. So, motivated reasoning, we always have to watch for this recognition that I have a tendency to prove what I want to believe rather than to prove or falsify things objectively. Okay. Number two, we have all sorts of shortcuts 
Okay. Again, Kahneman talked about system one, system two. System one is fast thinking. It's uh, heuristic based. It's making use of shortcuts, whereas system two is critical thinking. Heuristic. Yeah, I'm sorry. There we go. Uh, well, well, let me give you the definition. No, uh, <laughs> heuristic is a mental model, right? Uh, the, a, heur- a heuristic is just a either a conscious and deliberate or non-conscious mental model. Okay, we make a it's a, a shortcut that we develop in our brain, and there are lots of cognitive biases that serve as these sort of mental models. And one of the ones we see in the Enneagram world all the time is confirmation bias. Okay, uh, I get an idea about fours, for example, right? Uh, fours always wear baseball caps, okay? Uh, well, look, there's Creek. He's a four. See, he's got a baseball cap on, right? And there's another four, and he's got a baseball cap on. So, again, we confirm what we want to see, but we don't see all the fours who are not wearing baseball caps. Uh, something that I've, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but a guy coming up to me one time and saying eights don't read. Okay, uh, because his wife was an eight and she didn't like to read and he knew other eights who didn't like to read. So he just saw eights who didn't like to read and instead of eights who did. So falling into confirmation bias is really easy. We can start to say, oh, well, all fives do this or all fours do that, etc. Because we confirm what we want to see instead of saying, hey, I wonder if there are any eights out there who like to read. Let me do some research and let me find out whether eights read or not, or whether it's something that doesn't have to do with type, okay? So recognizing these biases equips us to start to overcome them. So, so once again, audience, we will be diving more deeply into some of these, giving more practical uh, ways of using these. But in short, um, how do you know personally when you've reached that high degree of confidence after you've gone through as much of the critical thinking as you know how to, um, what does that feel like? What does that look like? I think that you need to, as I said before, talent your ideas. And when you've tried hard enough to see what evidence there is against it, when you've talked it through with people who are really willing to talent your ideas, and when you see that over time, it holds up. I think that it might be good enough. And I think it depends on the realm that you're talking about because there's certain things. If we're talking about the Enneagram, that would probably be kind of enough. If we're talking about a science, then you need to do a lot more work there. But in the Enneagram, I think that those are some of the things that make me feel that it. I don't need more. But then continue to be open to uh, seeing new things. Hold ideas as hypotheses rather than truths. I think it's something that you need to do all the time. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of this stuff is as attitudinal as anything else, right? Meaning it's about embracing particular attitudes that increase the probability of us thinking skillfully. Okay. So it's developing, you know, what some people would call intellectual character. Right. And what that means basically is that I have habituated certain behaviors that increase the likelihood of me assessing things more accurately than I would otherwise. So if I habitually ask myself, well, am I fooling myself here whenever I come up with a new idea? That's one good thing. If I get into the habit of celebrating 
when I realize I was wrong about something, rather than feeling shame, it increases that probability that I'll correct myself, right? Um, creating an environment where we welcome people to challenge our views and we don't attack the person for doing so. All of these things are really hard to do because it's not our nature. So we need to develop those attitudes and those skills. Now, there are certain skills. And so, you know, I'll, I'll for example, you know, being the kind of parent I am, I'll, I'll give my sons examples of logical fallacies that I see. And I'll say, okay, which logical fallacy is this? Right, and I'll berate them for not getting it, and you know, humiliate them in front of you know their friends and so <laughs> forth. Can you believe this kid doesn't even recognize an ad hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy? You know, you know that sort of thing. But mm. it's <laughs> it's it's working with these things and learning them and applying them and teaching them and quizzing ourselves that just like anything else, we get better at them. But fundamentally. It's about the attitude of recognizing that I always, always, always have to be on guard and I always have to assess provisionality, degrees of provisionality rather than certainty. Okay. What I mean by that is that there are some things that I'm yeah, I'm 60% sure of that based on my experience. Well, it's happened a bit more. I've been observing this for a year. Now I'm maybe 75% sure. And maybe I'm this sure. Like, for example, when people ask me, does the pattern of expression fit everybody? My initial response is, well, there are 8 billion people on the planet and I haven't met them all yet. But with the people I've met and the people I've worked with, the pattern fits. Okay. So, you know, I'm saying, yeah, I'm kind of certain, but, you know, who knows? Right. It's so it's degrees of of confidence rather than um, knowing that we know something. Yeah, and we've focused most of the conversation on critical thinking when developing ideas and concepts, but I think that this applies to pretty much anything. So when you are with somebody else in front of you, you will be a lot better at seeing the real human being who is in front of you, if you think critically, if you don't assume that that person is a four and only see them through that lens, for example, and they might not be a four or they might not be the four that's on your mind. So you will be able to communicate with other people better. If you are able to question your own ideas, you will be able to understand what's going on with yourself, what you're feeling. If you think more critically. So it's, it applies to pretty much anything. It's not just developing concepts. So when we're working with the Enneagram, in order to see, uh, if we're seekers after truth, we need to think critically. And that involves seeing other people for who they are and not who we think they are. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, that's a great place to end. Um, I think it, when it comes to, yeah, we think critical thinking is just about the concepts and ideas, but you, you're very right. Like as a rather emotional human, um, I, critical thinking has aided me in being able to actually m more clearly and more deeply experience these emotions, whether they make sense or not. 
whether they, they are logical why I'm sad. Like sometimes I just wake up and I'm sad and I don't know why. I don't need to know why. But it does but using critical thinking, I'm able to realize that I am sad, but that doesn't mean that like <laughs> who I am is sadness. It doesn't mean that I can't go ahead and get up and go work out and work and have a fun time and the sadness can be there regardless. Um, and so it, it just gives just a couple clicks of objectivity to realize that what's happening is not always the whole of the situation. What I perceive is happening is not the whole of the situation yeah. ever. And I, 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 so you're absolutely right. And uh, that is an important thing to remember, right? So, for example, uh, to what Maria Jose was saying is, okay, I'll be more skillful in interacting with people if I can recognize that they're complex and that they have emotions and that they're this way or that way. I get better at remembering that if I can remember or if I'm aware of some of the tools and techniques for critical thinking. Right. So, for example, if I'm, you know, what sprung to mind when she said that was the fundamental attribution error is a tendency to make a judgment about somebody based on one observable trait or behavior and then extrapolate that to their whole character. Okay. Now, that's a technical term. And you might say, well, why do I need to know that? Why can't I just say, oh, people are, you know, what they are? Well, when we understand the tools and techniques, we become more skillful at the action itself. And you as a musician, Creek, understand this, that, you know, yeah, a, a good musician just plays, right? A great musician yeah. just plays and doesn't think. But you don't become a great musician without practicing the scales and understanding something about music theory and getting the techniques, right? So if you want to be good at this stuff, even if this stuff is just understanding and helping other people, you got to play the scales. Wow, this is um, this went deeper than I was anticipating, but I'm glad we went there. Uh, hopefully, we we didn't drown our audience members. Um, but <laughs> I'd be happy to go through the Neoplatonic essentialism thing one I'm more time. Sure, just to make you would. Um, <laughs> But but thank you all for for those of you that did stick around to the end. Thank you for sticking around, and um, <laughs> and we'll we'll re revisit these topics in more depth, um, and and try to try to keep bringing these topics back up so we can keep finding better ways to communicate them. So until next week, have a wonderful day. Gosh, I suck at closing these out. What the hell? <laughs> That's great faith in the product. So for anybody yes. who made it this far, yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. Thank you.